0: This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everyone. It's really fantastic to see so many of you here this morning, and it's good to catch up with some of you uh, during the time that has happened in the breakout rooms as well as uh, just the time before we start service. Now, as we look at God's Word today, why don't we go to God in prayer to prepare our hearts so that we will be uh, prepared by God's Holy Spirit to listen to His Word and to understand it, and not just understand it in our minds, but to be really uh, inflamed in our heart as we know the character of God through Jesus. So let's go to God and pray, uh, Dear Father, as we come before you today, we truly rejoice for we have good news. And the good news that we have is not just for today or tomorrow or this year, but for the whole of eternity. And we pray that as we come to Psalm 22, that we will truly be able, through your Spirit in our hearts, to understand, and not just to understand, but to be touched in our hearts. And not just touched, but really gripped, so that we will be able uh, to be sustained in our faith, to draw confidence, and to know the peace of uh, your relationship with us. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, uh, again, I'm going to uh, show you some of the old songs that uh, I know of. So there's this song that uh, I uh, heard of many years ago. And I actually bought the album. So it's many years ago. Like this is like in the 80s or 90s. So there's this guy called Bruce Springsteen. I- I'm sure most of you don't really know him. But anyway, he sang this song called uh, Brilliant Disguise. And the song is really a love song. But it's not really a love song. It's a heartbreaking song. Uh, because he's like looking at this woman he uh, married. Actually, this is uh, uh, apparently he wrote this in real life about his own experience when he was getting divorced. And he looks at this woman whom he thinks he loves and they're married, but he thinks that she's just a brilliant disguise. And the whole song really revolves around this idea of doubt, right? Doubt. So, you know, he, he thinks he loves her. He thinks he knows her, but he doubts about that love. He's not really sure about whether he loves her, doubts whether she loves him back. He doubts whether... She really cares for him and is faithful to him. Now as we look at today's passage, I think that it's a really relevant uh, idea of where we are looking in Psalm 22. Because Psalm 22 revolves around this idea of doubt. So as we look at the, the very beginning of today's passage, uh, is written by the psalmist David. And as we look at the, the, the beginning of the first few verses, He starts off very clearly showing his doubts to God. So he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you like left me in a sense? Why are you so far from saving me? He says, he says God has not just abandoned him, but God is distant from him. Like he's, he's like God is not even there. God is far, far away from him. So far from my cries of anguish, I cry out day by day, but you do not answer. By night, and I find no rest. So God has, he feels, abandoned him. God, he feels, is far away from him. And God, he feels, is silent. He's crying out to God, and there is no answer. Now, I think this is a very relevant experience because all of us as Christians, at some point of time, Can doubt God, many of us at some point in time, question God. So today, the first poll I want you to do is I'm going to launch a poll now and to ask you the honest question, this is all anonymous as we do every Sunday, have you ever doubted God or questioned God? And when have these occasions happened? Is it because you've lost a job, you've lost your financial security, or maybe you've been really disappointed? With a Christian friend or a Christian leader who's been really influential in your life? Or is it because you've been faced with broken dreams? Or something unjust has happened to you? Or you've been really sick? So just take a moment to fill that out. It's all anonymous. Uh, just, I want you to just reflect before we get into the text of how David deals with this idea of this very serious issue of doubt in the Christian life. Now I'll show you the results of the poll. And I think that it's a very honest response that many of you have given. Uh, sometimes something's unfair or unjust has happened to us. And we doubt God and we wonder about God's justice. Uh, I identify very much with the second one, where you are disappointed with your Christian friends. Maybe someone who has been very influential in your life has turned out to be a hypocrite. and you question and you doubt God. Now, as we look at the passage today then, we are going to see how David deals with this problem of doubt. So what does he do? Well, he stops looking at his problems, right? He he stops looking around and, and, and seeing all the problems that he has. But what does he do to solve the problem of doubt? He looks backwards to history. And you can see that in the passage by the use of this word yet, right? It's almost like David has this stream of consciousness like in the psalm, he's, it's like we are going in real time in his thinking. So he's, he's feeling abandoned, feels God is far away, God is silent. And then it says, yet, yet, you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one, Israel praises. So here we see that David, instead of looking at the problems that he has now, he looks back at history and he looks at what God has done in history. And he... In going through what God has done in history, he bolsters his faith, right? It gives him confidence because through history, God has revealed his character. And what has God revealed in his life? Through, sorry, in in Israel's life. So it says there in verse four, in you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried out and were saved. In you they trusted. So he looks back towards the history of Israel and he sees look, time and time again when God's people trusted God, they were delivered, they were saved, and they were not put to shame. And he's trying to use that to encourage himself to say, look, this is why I must turn back to God and trust because even though in my present circumstances, it may seem as if God is abandoning me. It may seem as if God is silent. It may seem as if God is far away, but yet God is reliable. And we know that, and he knows that because in history, that is the way God has been. But he doesn't just turn to the corporate history of Israel. If you look closely in the passage, he begins again in verse 9 with another, yet. And this time, instead of just looking at the corporate history of Israel, he looks to, God's history of dealing with himself. And here again, we see that when he looks back at the history of God dealing with himself as David, it says that, you made me trust in you even at my mother's breast. At birth, I was cast on you. I relied on you right from my birth and you have never failed me. Now, this is very important, right? Because through the corporate history, And through the personal history of David, we see the character of God and that gives us encouragement even though in our present circumstances, we feel doubt because we feel God may not be listening to us and we feel abandoned by God. So let me um, share with you this PowerPoint because I think the PowerPoint is very helpful. So when he looks back at the history of corporate Israel, he remembers that God brought the plagues on Egypt, Great miracles on Egypt so that God would bring Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And through the great miracle of going through the Red Sea, God defeated Pharaoh and they would find entry into the promised land. So he looks back at all those incidences and he says, God is trusted. God is reliable. Those who trust in God will be saved. And then he looks upon his own life as King David and he remembers how God enabled him to defeat Goliath and the Philistines. He remembers how he was protected from King Saul by the power of God. So as we, as we see this first part, the very beginning of the passage is David is full of doubt. And the first thing he turns to in order to bring himself from doubt to trust, is he turns to Israel's history and his own history. And he says, that is why I will seek to continue to trust in God. Even though right at this present time, I feel as if I'm abandoned. God is silent. God is far away. But yet, yeah, when I look back in history, I know that God is reliable. It's a bit like... Um, uh, Imagine, okay, a war, right? So um, imagine if you're, you're married, you may not be married, but imagine that you were married to a husband or wife, and you've been married for like decades, like 40, 30, 50 years, and year after year, your husband or your wife, your spouse, has been reliable, has been faithful, has been dependable. Uh, year after year, uh, what happens is, it's almost like bricks, that, that are built into the character of this person. So year after year, as this person has shown reliability, dependability, faithfulness, so you, you build up this wall of trust in this person because this person has never let you down. And in the same way, as David looks back at history, he sees how God has built these bricks of faithfulness. Every time, Israel trusts in God and relies on God, God delivers and saves. Uh, Every time David trusts and relies on God, God delivers. And so in the midst of this difficulty in his present life, he turns back to the history and remembers the mighty acts of God and says, this is God's character. This is the wall of trust that I have in God because of all the things that he's done for me in the past. Now, the, the passage then goes on to look at uh, the exact situation that David is facing. So in verse six he says, But I am a worm, and not a man, a scorn by everyone, a despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, they shake their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say, Let the Lord rescue him, let him deliver him since he delights in him. So the first scene that we see here is the situation where he's calling out desperately to God for is he's facing a situation of great mocking and insults. It's a terrible situation, right? Because it is not just one or two people who are mocking him, but he's mocked by everyone, by the people and all who see him. And it's all manner of mockery and insult. Uh, they call him a worm, they scorn him, they despise him, they mock him, they insult him, they shake their heads. And all because he trusts in the Lord. So here he is, the first clue of his situation is that he is facing a situation where people are mocking him, they are laughing at him, they're insulting him, they are scorning him, they're shaking their heads at him. The situation is then explained and developed a bit more in verse 12 onwards. Uh, Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Basham encircle me, roaring lions that tear their prey, open their mouths wide against me. I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up and and it's it's like like pot shed. It's like a, a dry piece of pottery and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Uh, Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They cast their clothes among them. They cast lots for my garments. So if we look at this, we see that there is... Two scenes which are very closely linked to, to one another. There's a crowd which are mocking him and insulting him. And the same crowd are wanting his death. It's like a lynch mob. Okay, they want to kill him. And powerful imagery is used here to show the, 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 the overwhelming fear that David feels. The overwhelming viciousness of the people around him. They're like roaring lions. They're like packs of dogs. They're like strong bulls who want to gore him. So here we, if we can sort of see it visually, right? Uh, we see that, no, it's like this crowd that's surrounding him. Okay. And the crowd is calling him and mocking him and insulting him and shaking the heads upon him, right? But this crowd develops into this vicious crowd who are calling for his death. They want to kill him. They want him to suffer. They want to tear at him like a lion. And it's a very terrifying picture. Okay, So if you think about it, it's a bit like, uh, here is poor David, and he's like attacked by these roaring lions, by these raging bulls, by this pack of wild dogs. Now, as we look at this passage, I want to do an experiment with you, okay? So if we look at the passages that I've read to you, verse 7, verse 16, verse 1, if I were to just print out the, the verses and I gave it to you as an experiment, I say, where would this come from in the Bible? Do you think this is more suitable for the New Testament or more suitable for the Old Testament? Or if I ask you the question, uh, if I were to ask you, whom uh, do these verses remind you of? Right, if I was to give you these verses, who does it remind you of? Uh, most probably, you'd say that this these verses remind you of the New Testament, and they don't remind you so much of David, but they remind you of King Jesus when he died on the cross, and that's exactly what is happening here. Verse twenty-two, sorry, uh, Psalm twenty-two is one of the most quoted psalms in the New Testament, and many times it's quoted to show how it corresponds, shows how it it fulfills itself in Jesus. So here in verse 7, we read, all, all, remember we said, we read that already, all these people who see me, mock me, they hurl insults and shake their heads. He trusts in the Lord, let the Lord deliver him, sorry, let the Lord rescue him, let him deliver him since he delights in him. And so, if we remember the crucifixion of Jesus, indeed all the people, all these people were mocking him. They, the, the Roman soldiers, they mocked him by putting a crown of thorns on his head and putting a purple robe on him. And they mocked him and slapped him and bowed down and mock worship before him. We read that the crowds and the teachers of the law, the religious leaders, they all shook their heads at Jesus and they made fun of Jesus. Even the people uh, who were walking beside the crucifixion scene, we were told, hurled insults at Jesus. And we remember also that the religious leaders, they mocked Jesus and said, he who trusts in the Lord, let the Lord rescue him. And last of all, before Jesus died, when he was actually on the cross, even those who were crucified with Jesus also insulted Jesus. But that's not all, because we also know that when Jesus died on the cross, remember, they pierced his hands and his feet. We also know that while Jesus was hanging on the cross, pierced by his hands and his feet, the Roman soldiers, they divided up his garments and cast lots for his clothing. And just before Jesus died, his last words were, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, this is not a mistake. This is not a coincidence. But I think what Psalm 22 is doing is, it's actually showing us that the words of David in the psalm which were inspired by the Holy Spirit. They may be poetic. They may have some poetic license, but they are literally fulfilled in the crucifixion of Jesus on the cross. And so for us, as we come to Psalm 22, if we have doubts, if we feel doubts about uh, our present circumstances, maybe you are facing job stress, financial stress, sickness, persecution. Yes, we can turn back to the history of Israel to show the character of God. We can turn back to the history of King David, again, to show the character of God, and this builds brick by brick the faithfulness and the trustworthiness of of God. But more than that, I think that as we come now to the fulfillment of Psalm 22 in the person of Jesus, then what Psalm 22 actually teaches us is that God is worthy of trust because on the cross of Christ, God has fulfilled Psalm 22. But more than that, in the cross of Christ, we see that Jesus, after he dies and goes to the ground for three days, God indeed rescues him, raises him up and delivers him from death. And so, we do not just look back at the history of Israel at the Exodus. We don't just look back to the history of David, but we look back at history in Jesus, which is even greater. For God raised up Jesus from the dead and delivered him. He who called out to him and cried out to God was entrusted in God was delivered by God and rescued by God himself. Now, what is really profound and deep in verse 22 is that really verse 22 could have finished quite early on, right? But when we look at the passage, we see something absolutely profound happen uh, because even though by verse 21, we see that God has indeed saved and rescued and delivered Jesus from the sword and from the wild animals and the pack of dogs who want to kill him. But yet in verse 22 to 31, we have a whole lot of more that God speaks to David to tell us why our trust is so worthwhile in God. Because you notice here that we began with doubt. Okay, we began with doubt. David doubted in verse one to two, and then he moved to this idea of trust, trust, and trust. But now in verse 22 to 24, it says he he. In the Psalm, David asks all who fear the Lord to praise God, all you, the descendants of, of Jacob, to honor him, revere him, all you descendants of Israel. And the reason we are supposed to do this uh, is not just because God raised Jesus back to the way he was, which is like you know, back to human life, but if you notice the whole of verse 25 to 31 shows this picture of where the rich and the poor, the, the 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 ends of the earth will all worship God and all worship Jesus. It's all the ends of the earth, right? all the poor, all the families of the nations, all will bow down before him. So what happens here is as God has rescued Jesus from the cross, from death, he doesn't just raise him to become a human being but he raises him up so that in the future, all peoples, all the ends of the earth, all families will bow down and worship this God. Now, why is that so? Why is that so? And this is where it is so important, this one word, right? Because dominion. Dominion belongs to the Lord. Now, I want to spend a bit of time on this word dominion because it's not a word that we use very often, but what does the word dominion mean? Okay, so for you, those of you who might be using your ESV Bibles, dominion means kingship. Okay, kingship, but I think it's, it, it's kind of like weak, right? Kingship. I like the word dominion. See, I remember when I was very young, uh, my, um, mother, uh, the, one of the only things that she taught me as a Christian when I was very young was, uh, the lord's prayer so she taught me the traditional version okay so you know it's like the hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come uh thy will be done version right but there's a part at the very end of the lord's prayer which is not actually in the bible but we 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 always add it on it says for thine is the kingdom the power and the glory and i think that captures the idea of dominion is that jesus has been rescued and saved for dominion for kingdom for power, and for glory. And this is going to happen in the future because God has already raised up Jesus. But what's really amazing is, even though this is all going to happen in the future, right? because it keeps saying this word, which is a future word, will, right? Will serve him, will be told, will proclaim. But notice something really weird. He says he has done it. It's almost as if God is so reliable, His word is so powerful, He has kept His reliability and shown it in so many generations. He's built up this brick wall of reliability that we know that when He says He's going to do it, what happens in the future is like what's, it's almost equivalent to it happening in the past. Dominion for Jesus, dominion for God, even though it belongs in the future, is already seen in God's eyes as something that's already happened in the past. He has done it. And what a wonderful thing it is. Because we do not just trust in God because of what happened in the past. But we trust in God because we know what's going to happen in the future. What that means is uh, God... In Psalm 22, and I want to see something really interesting here, right? Because in Psalm 22, what seems to happen is it began with doubt, and then it moved on to trust, and it ends with praise, right? So it begins with doubt, and he says trust, 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 because of what happens in Israel's history, in David's history. But then by the very end, it says, praise God, praise God, because dominion is going to come through the kingship, the glory of Jesus Christ. And I think that's so important for us to remember that we, we do not live for today. Let us not focus on the problems of our present. Because we are not creatures of today. We live for eternity. As Christians, we live for eternity. We live for Dominion, the dominion of Jesus. I'll be reading this book. Can you see? It's actually called uh, Dominion, right? And uh, it seems to be uh, like a very happy coincidence that I was reading this book as I came across this word in Psalm 22. But it really reminds me why even though I may have disappointment of God, I may have questions of God, I may doubt God, but yet, if I take my eyes off my present problems and I look at God's faithfulness in the past, and I go, look at God's certain future coming up, then I must trust God. It makes sense to trust God. And I must praise God because He is a God who will save and He will bring dominion. So the last, uh, for conclusion, uh, I want to do another poll now. And, uh, okay, this one you have to, uh, see how quick you are. So this is the question. Okay, this is a question you never ever thought that you would uh, ever ask yourself, right? Okay, so uh, what is my WhatsApp profile picture? Okay, so you all have to do it. I want to give you like 10 seconds because you know, I thought you all get it right very quickly, right? So what's my WhatsApp profile picture? Have you all got it yet? Okay, I've got to look for it myself. Okay, when I find it, then uh, okay, I close already. Okay, and poll. Okay, great. Okay, so actually, why well, some of you, uh, I can see why um, Andrew Wong asked you to ask which app you you all use, but obviously, you're you're very confident of your WhatsApp. So um, the WhatsApp picture is uh, it's uh, the word uh, eternity, and I use that uh, WhatsApp picture to remind ourselves that, that that we don't live for the present, we don't live for today, we're not creatures for today. Uh, if we learn anything from Psalm twenty-two, we live for the future. We live for the time of dominion of Jesus Christ. And we are confident that because God has shown his reliability, his faithfulness, his dependability, we can trust in him. Because he may not solve our problems today, he may not answer all our questions today, but in the whole light of eternity when dominion comes, uh, we will see all our problems, all our questions, all the issues that we have in this world, they will all be solved in the fullness of time. Let's go to God in prayer. Uh, dear Father, as we come before you today, uh, we really want to thank you because through Psalm 22, uh, you are very real with us. You show us how even David, a psalmist, uh, deals and struggles with doubt and questions uh, whether you are listening, whether you are distant, whether you have abandoned him. But through looking at your mighty acts in history, in the history of Israel, in the history of his own life, he realized that he must trust you, for all who trust in you will be delivered, they all will be saved, and they all will be rescued. We thank you so much that we live this side of the cross, for we see even more so through the fulfillment of Psalm 22 in the life of Jesus, that you Raise him up from the grave. And you didn't just raise him up so that he would become a human once again, but you raised him up so that indeed he may be ruler of the world under you, that he may have dominion. Dear Father, that time will come. It is so certain that in Psalm 22, it says, you have done it. And therefore, we pray for each and every one of us, no matter what troubles we face today, no matter what heartache we have, no matter what fears we have, no matter what tears we are experiencing, that we will continue to trust in you, both because of what you have done in the past, but also because we know the dominion of Jesus is coming. And in that time, all our problems will be solved. And we pray for all these things in Jesus Christ. Amen.